Welcome to Frequently Asked Questions from the session, Current Approaches to Stroke Prevention in Atrial Fibrillation. We're joined by Dr. Piazza. Before we begin with these questions, doctor, would you be able to reiterate a few key pointers from today's session to our audience? Absolutely, and thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, it's important to recognize that one of the major comorbidities uh, and consequences of atrial fibrillation is ischemic stroke. And as the population ages, uh, these strokes are going to become more common, but they're preventable. We have guidelines and excellent antithrombotic therapies to prevent stroke. Unfortunately, these therapies are underutilized in the U.S. and worldwide. But there are tools that we can use to implement better practices for prevention of stroke and atrial fibrillation that focus more on the use of direct oral anticoagulants and providing education to clinicians and patients. Great. How do you select an anticoagulant for stroke prevention in atrial fibrillation? It's a really important question, and the way I start off is involving the patient in understanding what their preferences may be and, and their reservations about starting an antithrombotic therapy. Uh, for me, it's really important uh, that they understand the differences between warfarin and the direct oral anticoagulants. Uh, if they're older patients or they've had a family member who's taken warfarin for a long time, they might naturally gravitate towards that, and they may not know a lot about these uh, more recent antithrombotic therapies that are safer and provide a very high level of stroke prevention. So uh, I try to find out what they know, and I try to inform them based on what the recommendations are and how uh, the different antithrombotic therapies have performed. Uh, then I look at uh, things like medication adherence. Uh, if I have a patient who I think will uh, forget to take doses of antithrombotic therapy or her, who needs a more rigorous environment uh, surrounding their anticoagulation, uh, an anticoagulation management service can be very helpful. It doesn't mean they have to be on warfarin. Oftentimes, anticoagulation management services focus on warfarin, but many focus on the direct oral anticoagulants as well. And then I look for patient preferences about the frequency during the day of, of dosing and any other concerns that they may have about particular agents that they saw on TV or that they uh, read about. How do you use CHADS-VASC scores and HAS-BLED scores in clinical practice? Now, that's another really important question. CHADS-VASC scores and HAS-BLED scores were developed uh, initially for the evaluation of patients who are being considered for research studies and has also been applied to clinical practice. The CHADS-VASC score is a system that looks at a number of risk factors for stroke and you tally up the score, and if the patient is at increased risk for stroke, that identifies uh, someone who should be started on antithrombotic therapy. The HASBLED score is a different scoring system. This focuses on risk factors for bleeding and is used to identify patients at a higher risk for bleeding on anticoagulation. What's interesting is the guidelines don't 
advocate using the HasBled score to decide which patients should not receive antithrombotic therapy. Rather, they advocate that we use the HasBled score to identify individual risk factors that increase the risk of bleeding that we can modify. So for example, one of the uh, factors in the HasBled score has to do with hypertension. If you have a patient with hypertension, we know that that increases the risk of bleeding on anticoagulation. You'll want to control the hypertension. Uh, labile INRs is another factor that's considered in HasBled. And maybe if your patient has that, you would want to consider a direct oral anticoagulant that gives you more consistent antithrombotic levels. And so that's how we're really supposed to use HasBled. Chadsvesk tells you who should get antithrombotic therapy, and HasBled tells you what factors in the patient you should modify to make anticoagulation safe. Do you have a preferred DOAC? That is a really frequent question that I get, and I actually don't have one single preferred DOAC. Uh, what I try to do is understand the differences between the individual DOACs and match them to a particular patient and their preferences. So some patients may be uh, resistant to taking a medication twice daily, and then I'll use a once daily DOAC. If they're used to taking medications twice daily, uh, and they just want to stick to that routine. They have their pill box laid out, and they know what they're taking in the morning and what they're taking in the evening. Then a twice daily DOAC uh, should be just fine. I also try to match the DOAC with their um, their side effects uh, and patients' underlying comorbid illnesses. So patients with migraines who have a tendency towards frequent headaches, uh, I might steer away from rivaroxaban because that is associated with uh, an increase in uh, frequency of headaches, and some patients will uh, need to stop the medication because of uh, headaches. In other patients, there might be gastrointestinal issues that make them less tolerant of something like dabigatran, which has an acidic coating to help its absorption but can cause dyspepsia or stomach pain. Uh, and so I really try to match uh, side effects with the patient. Um, other reasons to pick a particular DOAC would uh, have to do with uh, patient's uh, uh, frailty and perhaps uh, body mass index. There are some uh, studies that suggest in patients that have real morbid obesity, you may want to actually stick with warfarin where you have a uh, better um, uh, certainty that you're providing anticoagulation at the right level, and also patients who've had gastric bypass may have difficulty absorbing DOACs. How do you handle stroke prevention in AF patients with frailty? That's a very common issue uh, that I see in my clinical practice. Um, I get a lot of referrals from our geriatrics team about this. And uh, I think the most important thing uh, first is to focus in on that HasBled score. You're not really using that HasBled score to tell the primary care provider that the patient shouldn't be on anticoagulation. You actually want to use it to see all of the different things about the patient that you can mitigate to make antithrombotic therapy safe. So that I start with the HasBled score, and then I talk to the patient uh, and try to find out what their patterns for taking medications are. Are they very adherent to taking medications, or have they had difficulties remembering doses? If they 
have problems with adherence, then an anticoagulation management service can really be helpful for frail patients uh, in making sure they don't take too much antithrombotic therapy, but they're also not missing doses. Uh, many of the direct oral anticoagulants uh, provide you with instructions on adjustments in the dose if the patient has some of the comorbidities that go on with frailty, such as low body weight or uh, kidney dysfunction or really um, advanced age. And so you can use those criteria to dose reduce, but you should do that when it's truly indicated. One of the main problems we're seeing now with the direct oral anticoagulants is that providers being afraid of bleeding will dose reduce the DOAC when the patient doesn't meet criteria for that. And uh, you don't want to do that because then you don't get the efficacy for stroke prevention and you still get some risk of bleeding. This is great information, doctor. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure.